0: Hi, everyone. On today's show, it's time to break down the WNBA rookies, where they are, how they've been faring, and what lies ahead for them in this league and beyond. And it all starts right now. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everyone. It is July 15th, 2022. I am Missy Hydrick, National Women's Basketball's correspondent at The Next. And so happy to have you here with us. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter and be sure to follow The Next Hoops at The Next Hoops and this podcast at Lockdown Women's Basketball. We've passed the halfway mark of the WNBA regular season. And so today we're going to take a deep dive. We're going to look at the rookies around this league, check in on the race for the 2022 Rookie of the Year, and look at those first-year players that who've been surprises, is maybe a few on the disappointment side, throughout this league. And I am so happy to be joined today by Tony East, one of the outstanding journalists that covers women's basketball at the next and beyond. He is a pro of podcast, covers the Indiana Pacers and all things on the Indiana fever beat. So Tony, let's start with this. I have this conversation with folks all the time during the college basketball season. Uh, people come up to me and they, you know, they look at the list and they say, these are the top players in the college game. They're the All-Americans. They, they're up for player of the year in their league. There's this assumption that they are just going to magically transition and be on a WNBA roster and starting and averaging 30 minutes a game. And I just think that sometimes because of the way that we are seeing probably the the exposure and the excitement and the interest around the college game, that it isn't necessarily, we haven't maybe been able to, I don't even know if the word is educate folks enough, but get them to understand that that transition from an elite college player into the WNBA, maybe just isn't as simple as everybody thinks it really is.
1: Yeah, the the easiest way to sort of explain that to me would always be every WNBA player was an elite college player, right? They can't all be, you know, 30 minutes per game, high level scorers or hot masters in their role at the pro level and that's the hardest part of the transition for a lot of these players you know we'll talk about Ryan Howard later like her role was an easy transition she could still be awesome at what she does at the pro level that is incredibly rare right most of them have to adapt they're no longer going to have the ball as much they're going to have to find a way to impact the game by being a better screener by diving on the floor by doing all those things that they aren't asked to do as much at the college level or that aren't as uh appealing or as you know all that sort of stuff in, in over the course of a game and that adjustment can be hard especially when you go from that role against you know even if you are playing that role in college you're doing it against college level competition you get to the pros and fever coach Carlos Knox was talking about this before the all-star break they have first of all they have no gap really between college and pro level if they go but then they go from you know their their conference championship or the NCAA tournament's like, okay, I'm playing an All-Star tonight, an Olympian on Friday, and then I have a back-to-back where I have to fly on a plane and then play another You know, it's just, it's such a culture shock, too, that it can be really tough to make that transition happen so fast.
0: Well, and I think what's interesting also is it's really not comparing apples to apples, it's apples to oranges, but if you look at the snapshot of how WNBA, WNBA versus the NBA rookies and what that looks like for them, there's no summer league, right? So as you said, the... The NCAA tournament finishes the first week of April. The following three days is the draft. In about two weeks, those women are on a plane and headed to camp. If I'm an NBA rookie or a kid that's come into the NBA draft, I've gone through all the workouts. I've had all of this time. There's been the interviews. Then there's the draft. Then there's summer league. And then it's going to be a determination of whether or not you're going to make that roster when push comes to shove in the wintertime. So I guess it looks as though it's really not the same and when you don't have that prep I think that's maybe where the the discrepancy of how many rookies are technically making rosters and then are they even seeing the floor and having an impact.
1: Yeah, in the NBA they go they have a lot of time to both get accustomed to travel to get accustomed to not being in a college setting anymore to Playing against that pro-level competition, especially because they have something like Summer League, which is a nice transitional period of, like, all these players were good in college but may not be at the NBA level. And then another long gap to really mentally prepare for the season. I mean, it it could not be a more drastic difference at the W where, you know, like, we're talking to Lexi Hall before the season. I think it was in the season. And, and you know, I asked her about about class. She's like, oh, yeah, I have an I have an economic engineering midterm like later this week. And they're like, they just played the sky. I'm like, wait, how are you in class? You know, it's yeah. like it, it, it could not be a more brutal transition from one thing to the next. Whereas, these, yeah, the NBA, especially if you consider the college season ending in March and their season is starting till October, like they have almost a half a year as opposed right. to just two weeks to fly, get into a hotel, settle and jump right into camp and show what you got, or you you don't make the team. Like the, it, it could not be more of a drastic difference.
0: When you talk and you hear executives, GMs, these head coaches for all of these W uh, franchises talk, I think a lot of them are looking, and they know that they've got to build rosters for the future. I had this conversation a month or two ago with James K. kind of looking at, you know, what do these rosters really mean? Why is there not a spot? Is it the aging concept it seems to me that they know they have to be able to have young talent on these rosters. However, they know that the experience and some of the marquee players in the WNBA are on the older side. Does this pendulum switch? Does it kind of swing back the other way? And do we start to see that that younger generation of player be more A, of an impact player and B, really be the ones that everyone's going to see all the time?
1: You know, I cover the fever, so I have to say yes. I think I, yeah. I think I'm required by law to say yes to that question. They, they would be on the front end of that pendulum, right? Half That's of their true. roster currently is first year players. Yes, but that, but that kind of they had to do that given their situation. I don't know that every team will go that dramatically with it, but I do think there will be the the pendulum swing you described is the perfect way to put it. You know, sort of I a, a, I don't, I, a realignment for for the brains of these GMs of like, okay, we finished out the, I don't even want to call it the first era of the WNBA. That seems like the wrong way to put it. But you know, a lot of these stars from the early days of the league are are stepping out. Let's rethink how we structure our teams, how we get these rookies in there, because it can be tough to keep them or cut them after camp, but they have the most promise of those players to work through mistakes. So once you're not in the title chase anymore, it makes a lot of sense to keep as many of them around as you reasonably can on your team.
0: Yeah, because if you are not necessarily sitting in one of those top, you know, I mean, eight are going to make it into the playoffs. We know that there's probably technically three or four that really are going to compete for that championship when push comes to shove. Does this have to be sort of like the feeder? It's, you know, it goes back to that college scenario of, hey, i got to get my freshman and sophomore some minutes. i got to get them some time. They need experience. This might be the way to do it, right?
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, the fever is too extreme to to compare for an example. But exactly, that's exactly what it is. And then the, in year two or three, when they're better and the team's a little better, and they add a, a quality for agent, and they're ready to take that step forward. They can be more confident putting their young players out there who have experience and have played throughout a season already. Like I get, I think a good example of this, just to name one player, Shakira Austin with the Mystics, right? Like they, well, she's awesome and is playing every night for them because she's really good. But also it's like the perfect situation for her now of, you know, she's got these legends on her team, a team with championship pedigree, a legendary head coach to like slot in, learn the ins and outs of the WNBA level uh, and learn how to play alongside all these vets to when they are on their way out or aging out of that team. She will be a mainstay on that squad because she knows what the culture of that team is like, how to play in a winning environment and what it takes to be a high quality pro. And so, you know, you, you can do one of those, you can do three of those, whatever, but that is kind of the, the situation that makes the most sense for that growth pattern that we've just described and having as many of them as you can, uh, <laughs> at least within the confines of your roster size makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: And I guess it depends on how many picks you have and how you want to use them and where they go. And if there's a trade, I mean, all of that comes into play And Indiana's has probably been one of the teams that has done that most masterfully this year and has, you uh, can say they've, they've gone to the youth side of the roster, more or less. Um, Okay. In just a moment, we will talk about some of these rookie surprises, maybe even a couple disappointments that people were looking for um, as we continue here with Tony. But first, I want to say that betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including what had been the playoffs for the NHL and Major League Baseball, which is hot and heavy, and the All-Star break is coming up. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. If you are not up this morning already on a Friday, you would know that the Open Championship at St. Andrews is up and running. And I'm sure everybody's numbers have changed because there is a rookie on top of the leaderboard. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. I am Missy Heidrich, and thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. I am here with Tony East man that knows all things Indiana fever and beyond. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of these rookie surprises, maybe even a couple disappointments. You mentioned her name earlier. I think it's the one that everybody talks about in Ryan Howard. We'll go back to her in a minute, but I also have been, I have been pleasantly surprised by Shakira Austin, uh, playing for the Mystics, the 6'5". Better. Now, for a lot of people, as we kind of go back to our earlier conversation, If your first impression of Shakira Austin was the last game she played as a collegiate player at Mississippi uh, was their loss in the first round to South Dakota in the NCAA tournament where she was kind of neutralized, really wasn't much of a factor for them, part of the reason why they were knocked out of the NCAA tournament early. What has made Shakira Austin one of those kinds of impact rookie players?
1: It's funny that I call this surprising right (laughs) because we all kind of thought she would go top three and what made her well not the only thing but one of the things that made her a top prospect was her defense but the fact that and this is a perfect kind of segue from our opening segment you know it can be hard to jump right into WNBA level defense as a rookie the players are faster and stronger every rookie for all of time will say that during their rookie season at some point they'll go man you know these players are way faster and bigger and stronger And so the fact that her defense has been so good as a rookie already and has been able to seamlessly sort of translate, especially right around the basket, that is why I think surprise can be a useful word because she can start on that Mystics team, be in that rotation, and not cause them any warts. And it's a perfect system for a good defensive center to slot into. They have such a good backcourt defensively on that Washington squad but that's where she's been really good and then the surprising part is hanging on offense as well you know shooting really well from the field finding ways to still score uh over 54% shooting this season is is perfect for what that team needs so, so the efficiency's there the rebounding is there great block rate right? like all the stuff you you would want from a rookie starting on a team that is kind of in that championship aspirations tier. So it's funny that I also call her surprising. I think it's just because she's on a really good team like the mystics where I wouldn't expect her to, to just slot in and have a big impact right away, but she has kind of on both ends.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay. So let's talk about the, let's talk about the fever. And as you mentioned earlier, this is, such an interesting roster with so many new faces that have come in and they just said, Hey, from the get go, we're going to use these picks. We're going to get people and we are going to go young and we're going to see how this goes. And there have been those impact players. Now you mentioned her earlier and I want to start with Lexi Hall because if anybody follows and knows my work with the next is a lot of other things going back two years from when Stanford won a national championship, I have always said, Lexi Hall was kind of the engine that made that team go. Like now, is that game and is what she can do transferable into the W? Still, I think, to be determined. But she, along with a host of other young players, is really kind of that next gen for what the Fever are going to be doing.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's Sometimes it can be hard to assess Fever rookies because there's five of them playing at the same time. <laughs> They've never played together before. They've never played against this level of competition. And then they're just, okay, go figure it out. Good luck. So uh, on, on one hand, they are probably the hardest rookies to assess because of that, right? They are in a, an unbelievably unique situation in W history. Like the, the Liberty in the bubble, I think had more rookies than the fever do now, but it, it, that's, I get, you know, it's not common for teams to have this many at once. Lexi specifically has been interesting for me to watch because, she comes into the league and she's pegged in the draft as, okay, the shooter. This is the shooter of the draft, the best shooter. Teams are lining up apparently to pick her because she can shoot. And the stuff she's looked good at at the pro level has been everything except for shooting. The three ball has not fallen at all, only 14% so far, but still been effective enough at getting to the rim and, and creating shots there. Her defense is solid. She does the little stuff that you know, you always talk about with players that you like, but you know, diving on the floor and you're facing on defense, like that stuff's all been there. And that would be like the engine sort of stuff if she had the ball more often. But the fact that the shot hasn't fallen has has kind of limited her minutes and made her a clunkier fit in some lineup. So that's where she has sort of fallen short of expectations so far. All the rest of the Fever rookies, though, have, have sort of met or, or reached close to what their expectation was, which is fascinating to me since... Like I said, they've been playing in lineups with just each other and really thrown into the fire so far.
0: Yeah, Destiny Henderson, I think one of those players that seems like maybe has taken a few people by surprise. And if you were a bit surprised, maybe you didn't necessarily know how big of an impact player she was the last few years for South Carolina. I mean, she ran that show. She understood what Don Staley wanted. I think a kind of a quarterback on the floor within the college games seems as though that has been transferable for her. And she's finding a way to make herself one of those kind of players that in a couple of years, it's going to be really hard to take her off the floor.
1: Yeah, definitely. She's been, I think, a really interesting rookie for me to study because it's rare to watch a rookie have to deal with what she's going through where she starts off as a rookie shooting so well from three. And then all of a sudden teams figure out what her WNBA skills are and really adjust to her scouting report wise. Like it's rare that a rookie has. A good enough shooting impact that has to she has to adjust the different coverages midseason. That's something I've been talking to Carlos Knox about recently. Is how does she, as a point guard who's already adjusting to a new league and new talent level, go from okay, this has been working for me to what do I do now? How do I impact the game now? At the start of the season, she was lights out. You know, 19 points in the Fever second game this season. A ton of good shooting nights from deep, and she's still a great shooter. 43. from deep so far, but now she's sort of evolving into, okay, how can I be a distributor? How can I run the second unit when I'm out there? And and now that the fever are pivoting to this Kelsey Mitchell at point guard experiment, there aren't even more opportunity for Henny to be in that role where she's running an offense. So definitely has done a good job, especially considering she fell all the way to the 20th pick of finding a role. And now it's going to be about how can she adjust to new coverages and a new role with this fever team. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay. So now then there's three, three bigs that came straight out of the college game, three with, you know, fantastic resumes coming in, two much more high profile than Queen Egbo, but you had Melissa Smith and Queen Egbo coming from Baylor. And then Emily Inksler, who I think a lot of people knew about, but it was a quiet career that she had at Syracuse. She transfers to Louisville. They end up in the final four. You know, this is kind of that player that just sort of jumps onto everybody's radar, but If you had to look at everybody, I would say Smith and Engsler with two really transferable games from the college right into the W. And they, all three of them, are having that impact that I think most probably thought that we were going to see.
1: Melissa Smith is is great. I mean, she is going to be a a high impact player for a long time. And the thing she's been talking about a lot is consistency. It's not, uh, the shot's not there every night for her yet. She can't always find her spots. Just yet, but last 10 games, right, she was dealing with this ankle injury early in the season. 40% shooter, good floor game, putting it on the floor and getting to those spots. Her defense is tenacious right up in your face. I mean, there's a reason two weeks before the draft, Lynn Dunn was doing her TV interviews and was keeping no secrets. People would ask if she's picking, and she'd say... Ryan Howard or Melissa Smith. You know, she she knew that those would be the two most talented players in the draft, and getting Melissa Smith has been no short of perfect for what the Fever need right now. And if that three ball continues to to develop in that way, which I think has been the most surprising part of her skill set, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind she can be a, a high end option for a title team. And Emily Engstler is like the funny, The best thing Emily Engstler ever said to me was, "I wish there was a clone of me on my team. I would love to play with me because she is." <laughs> She is like the perfect teammate. Everybody wants to play with an Emily Angsler. Gonna have your back at all times. That the, the it's a kind of a meme phrase now, but the dog mentality kind of thing, you know, like I said this stuff for Lexi Hall, but you know, Emily Angsler's like the 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 little plays master, right? The best the best dive on the floor player, the best offensive rebounder, the hustle plays all-star. If that was a thing, she would be the captain of the team. And that's always very valuable. If she could finish at the rim, which she she has so many opportunities there that would really elevate her game because she's been so good at everything else. And Queen Egbo's added this mobility level on defense that the Fever have never had in recent seasons. And I didn't expect her to have an impact right away. But, you know, the next we did our midseason award voting, Queen Egbo was the fifth player on the first team all-rookie. Like, her defense has been there already. Impact player for the Fever. She's got some, you know, some work to do to fill in and find impact on the offensive end. But the fact that her defense has been that good already, yeah, the, the Fever have... They're three-headed monster of their of their future front court already.
0: You know, there's a couple names that I think that I don't think I can I think it's hard to say disappointment because I, I think we again go with those um, expectations that we have to be able to temper as players make this transition. It goes back to what we were talking about before. You know, if I was gonna look at someone like Veronica Burton, who came from Northwestern, you know, Nas Hillman with an amazing historic collegiate career at Michigan, you know, she's averaging about 13 minutes a game for Atlanta. That doesn't sound like a ton, but that's a great role player type person. Uh, Nia Clowden out of Michigan state, again, limited minutes at Connecticut. But I think these are the kind of players that are going to stay on these rosters that people are going to want to build around you know, front office folks know that these are the kind of, Individuals you want in your roster as you move forward, because that transition is going to come, and you need some stability with
1: younger players. One hundred percent. Those are p- some player tabs I opened in case you brought them up for our to potentially disappointing rookies discussion. I also had Kirsten Bell's tab open um, with the Aces. Something I note about these players a lot too is they're usually on good teams right because they fall back to something we said earlier of like their role is way different from college and that can be hard to adjust to is like okay you don't have the balls much anymore like your your opportunities are coming in a different way now and that can be hard you know that that stands out to me about Kirsten Bell especially with the aces so I, I agree with all those players you know they're, they're trying to find their impact and I think that it's smart of these teams to do what we talked about earlier to continue to put them out there give them the opportunities give them the experience so they can grow and be you know more valuable when they are called upon to do more when they are thrown into a bigger role in future seasons
0: and i think that growth from year one to year two from rookie year to the year two is that's what and that's what gms that's what head coaches want to be able to see and i think that these are the kind of players that they absolutely can do that no doubt about it Okay. So next up, it is the race 2022 and WNBA Rookie of the Year. It is heating up. So we're going to talk about that in just a second. All right, everyone. I am Missy Hydrick, and I am here with Tony East. And so happy to be joined by someone that is living and breathing this WNBA season. He's got a host of rookies on his beat with the Indiana Fever. But there are also some other outstanding ones out there. All right, Tony. So we know where everybody in the midseason, all of our uh, fellow compadres in at the next, where everybody voted. But it seems like it's going to be a pretty streamlined race as we head in here the last the second half of the WNBA season for Rookie of the Year. Um, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of surprises that people are going to be seeing when push comes to shove. But if you were going to put the names of Ryan Howard, Shakira Austin, Melissa Smith, maybe Destiny Henderson, but those are going to be the ones I think at the top of everybody's ballot.
1: You know, first impressions go a long way with this stuff. And Howard ran away with, yeah. with the first impression portion of the award. You know, Really matter in these discussions when you know the first time I saw Ryan Howard in Indiana, she had 18 points in the first quarter. It's not not 18 points in the game. 18 points in the first quarter. Like her start to the season was ridiculous. And I not to bury the lead completely on the conversation, but like I, I think she's going to win. She has been the best rookie. She was an All Star. It's yeah. unlikely that a ton can happen in these last dozen or so games for these teams. That's too many. Ten or so games for these teams to really change that, but it has become closer since her dominance. They're not necessarily followed for anything. But, you know, has had some some clunkier games as the season has progressed, and she's translated, whereas Shakira Austin, who I think is now firmly in second in this race, has sort of slotted into a role that is more natural for her in Washington and is, you know, there every night for them and is having that defensive impact, and that's why she got some votes in our the next uh, midseason awards poll. So Austin, with a solid close to the season, if she can have – you know, show some offensive growth that puts up the stat, the stats that people like to see for these award votings. I think she could sneak into this discussion. Uh, but Howard seems like she's got a pretty firm grip on it just because she was – there was a reason she was an all-star. At the beginning of this season, she was one of the – I jokingly said this in our next Slack about a month into the season. Like, her, she had an MVP case for a while. She was that good to start this season. So there are a couple rookies in this mix, especially if they close strong. And we could talk about Smith in that mix as well but Howard has just been that good so far to me that it's going to be very hard to upend her from the top of that list.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. And again, it goes back to making that transition. And I think everybody's looked at Ryan Howard over the last couple of years at her time in Kentucky and said, this is that she's the prototypical WNBA player, a kind of kid that can turn it on as necessary. She can dominate. She's Athletics, she's skilled, you get to the rim, it's the speed of the game, it's consistently playing downhill, which is the difference, you know, which is the difference. And when when you look at that Atlanta team and what they've kind of tried to build around her and making themselves playoff contenders here, I think that elevates her level of saying, you know what, you can't have a team that's gonna go from where they were to being a playoff contender without an impact player. A rookie is a great way to be able to do that. But the really her her ability to be able to take it to that next level early, but now it's going to be about the consistency factor. And I think that a lot of people are going to say, well, what's going to happen in year two?
1: A hundred percent. Can we get rid of the word motor from the lexicon of the pre-draft process?
0: Please. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I'm with you there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Motor is a car part, not a draft analysis tool. That That is what I'm going to say from now on. If... That is hinted at for a top prospect ever again. Yeah, her her transition from year one to two and all these top rookies, Smith, Austin, all of them, will be fascinating because of what we talked about earlier. Like being, This is just the most random player I'm going to use to describe this, but being in market from year one to two is also really helpful where your training staff is, where your coaching staff is, where some of your teammates are. I remember seeing Kathleen Doyle with the fever being in Andy, being able to train a bunch with her teammates. Like that is really valuable, even for players who aren't dominant rookies. That's really helpful. Chelsea Perry was here in India a lot this off season too. And she was rehabbing, but being around teammates, Kelsey Mitchell was here. They had a few other training camp invitees hanging around. Like that is really valuable time. And so for Howard, for Smith, for Austin, that not having to go through the rigors of class (laughs) and and college games and, and throughout the winter, will actually help them, I think, settle in and and be with their coaching staff and their teammates in a way that will help them grow into year two, and especially with Howard on a team that went through a ton of turnover in Atlanta this past offseason, and both the coaching staff, I mean, everywhere, (laughs) you know, everybody knows what happened with the Dream. It will be even more so beneficial to be settled into a situation and with the franchise as they go from this rookie of the year race to year two.
0: Well, and I think you're right because, I mean, that's the part, this is the job now, right? This You are a pro. And so you have to look at it that way, that this is what you do every day. This is the training. And I think there's other aspect of it, that it's both the on and off the court piece, that you have to have them surrounded by people within the organization, within the franchise, the front office, the training staff, what have you, that those are helping them make that next step. But it is also about the game and what happens there. But there's a lot of other peripheral things that go on for professional athletes that you've got to hone in on. What are the decisions you're going to make as it relates to playing overseas? Is that something you're going to do? What does that? What's the time frame? How does that fit into the plan? Those are all I think the conversations that these young players, all of the rookies across the league, are going to have.
1: Yeah, especially the overseas questions. Big when you're younger because right. a lot of them like to pick some of the shorter seasoned overseas teams so they can come back and, and be a part of camp and things like that instead of missing early time in their second year, if they even go, it's less common for some of those younger players to go after their rookie season is because they went from college straight to the pro level. So yeah, the, those sort of decisions and just, the, sometimes I hated this word when I was growing up and I'm going to use it anyway, like adulting, learning how to grow up, you know, like that, that is part of this as well. And it's a big maturity stage to be on your own after your first pro season. Like that is a big growth point as well, even beyond the basketball court that does help you, settle in as a player. So I hate the I hate to use a word I used to cringe at when people would say it, but I think it is valuable in this discussion.
0: It's true. And it's not easy. And I think that's the other part of that, right? Is that we have to remember that any rookie in any professional sport, women's basketball, the NBA, you know, I mean, we're still talking about people that are, you know, early twenties. And so we are making a lot of changes and moves and decisions. That are in both short term and long term you know you got to be in the short game and the long game as it relates to what that career looks like what you want to do business venture wise all of those things are opening and it becomes more of that factor we talk a little bit about age and i you know i'm going to date myself but i feel like as people get older sometimes you you can still be a rookie you can still be somebody that's you know has a lot of experience but hasn't necessarily made your mark in wherever you are there's actually two names that someone brought up to me the other day. I looked at Rebecca Gardner in Chicago, Christy Wallace, who's in Atlanta. These are players that have been removed from the college game for many years, but have made their way back to the W and are considered rookies, first year players, but also impact players, which is a really interesting mode and, and kind of a, a different feel than what we're normally used to.
1: They have the adulting, Missy. That's what yes, it is. They, <laughs> they have the experience. but it does does help to have that that they've played professionally in other places obviously but they do like part of their game and part of the reason they stick when they're a rookie at such a advanced age that sounds wrong to say but for a rookie i should say for an advanced age is that maturity like rebecca gardner comes in and she knows how to defend professional players that's her big thing for this guy team so far so that that's like what what her calling card has been and that's super rare for traditional rookies but someone who's played professionally so much she's she understands how to do that sort of thing already so I think that is where with those two specifically you're seeing that more often is they they're they're better at the nuanced parts of the game and, the, and those sort of things.
0: Well, and I think it, I think it actually speaks volumes to maybe some of the direction of the league as well, you know, to say that we've got uh general managers and coaches that are thinking outside the box of a little bit you know that these are the types of players that can be impact they don't have to give you 20 and 10 and play 35 minutes a game but again experience goes a long way understanding the scope of what happens both inside and outside of the bubble of your team a locker room you know adulting slash experience sometimes can go a long way in helping younger players along giving them a good example and I think that this is something that maybe isn't going to just be a, a small trend that we're seeing this year with a couple of these kind of players, but maybe something that people transfer down the road.
1: Yeah. Emma Cannon was sort of that as well. Uh, and re- pretty recently. So I've seen kind of that up close and that can be valuable too. Cause once they become a vet so quickly, they're like inexperienced, but still yeah. old, you know, it, it's a good combo of knowledge and, and skill to have to both be a vet and be growing with rookies so i think that path will become a little more prevalent especially like all it takes is one or two success stories to really have every franchise see what it can be and see how it can help your team not just from that one player's perspective but from an entire team perspective
0: absolutely okay i am not going to hold you to it but we know that the race for the rookie of the year is coming so if you had to vote today who lands on tony's magical ballot
1: I'd have to quibble on my two and three between Smith and Austin, and maybe that's just because I watch every Fever game and not every Mystics game, but I think right now my order would be Ryan Howard one, Shakira Austin two, and Melissa Smith at three.
0: Well, I think that's where a lot of people right now, they're slotting them in, but people are going to do it in pencil because it's not done yet, so don't hit send on your vote until the season (laughs) is officially over. That's what I would tell everyone. Let it play out, folks. Let it play out. All right, it has been awesome to be able to talk with Tony. Tony, where does everybody find you throughout the course of each and every day?
1: The next Hoops is the place to go for all the women's basketball coverage and my fever coverage. And, in fact, my next story is about the fever rookies. So I have a little tidbits on all of them. So this is perfect timing for this. That should be out this weekend. And at T-East NBA on Twitter for my thoughts about everything, which is usually just random basketball tweets at whatever time of day I am on my phone.
0: Well, that's perfect. So thank you so much for coming. You can find me, Missy Heidrich, at Missy Heidrich on Twitter. And, of course, all of my amazing colleagues, including Tony, by following us at The Next Hoop and this podcast at Lockdown Women's Basketball. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Please join us next week. More episodes are coming. The final weeks of the regular WMB season are here and you're going to find everything you need to know right here with us on Locked On Women's Basketball. For your second listen, get up to date on the latest news and rumors in the NBA in just 30 minutes. If there is not news going on in the NBA, then it is a slow day. And let me tell you, there is a lot going on. You can do it every day with Locked On NBA. Locked On NBA is your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Have a fantastic day. and. Coming back to Lockdown Women's Basketball for everything you need to know.